Good morning, friends. <laughs> hey, Didi. Good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm not feeling that bubbly John energy today. Have you had your tea, your Red Bull, or a cocktail? Well, it's the nine o'clock hour here in Los Angeles. It's a little <laughs> early for me on a Saturday, but I'm going to push through. And I'm freezing cold. It's so still so cold here. Sir, it cannot be that cold in LA, especially compared to New York. And honestly, you've been thin-blooded since I met you in 2014, <laughs> walking around the Moxie office like lion. <laughs> I will stand to this day. It was freezing in that office. I was cold. The blanket was required. Period. And have you gotten rid of the blanket? The blanket is still a part of my life, somewhat. I have it in my bag for just in case emergencies. AKA every day because it's cold. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I still have my blanket. I still walk around the office. It is my it's my baby. <laughs> I think you had a space heater too when we were working on Get On Up, the film about music, the late great James Brown. Oh my gosh, John, that was crazy. I do. I did have a space heater. Wow, that's so crazy. I need to find that. <laughs> You just really like flash. Like I'm like I don't know where that is, but it was like right now it's like needed. And I also invested in a um actually randomly um a heated blanket, which is a game changer. And I was like, oh my god, I can walk around the house and be on my couch with my blanket, be my bed in my blanket, be in the kitchen in my blanket. I'm warm still. It's amazing. (laughs) I have the black linus. (laughs) Or just give me the you know just blank Franklin. Black character of Peanuts with a blanket. Franklin with a blanket. Oh. <laughs> Peanuts character. Um, I'm so excited about today's guest. How excited oh, are you? You know I'm excited. I love this guy, um, which is funny to me because I think I'm going to tee up a little like ro- movie rivalry between you two because... He is an OG, like, cinephile, which is how we came to know him. I think he might know more about movies than you. You know what? We He might. He might. But we're going to we, listen. We can go neck and neck. I, I am an expert cinephile, soon to be professor of film and television 20 years from now. Uh, <laughs> but we, we both, we both, right, exactly. I'm doing a teaching while with my blanket on. But we both love, 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 love movies. And I'm so excited to talk to him today. Listen, Sus One is probably the hardest working man in entertainment right now. And we have just had the immense pleasure of getting to know him a little bit better, working on our movies. And we know we're going to have an amazing conversation with him. And I cannot wait because it's also, he's like the, the master of many, like, tricks like he's a radio host podcasting he's hosting movie screenings he's covering red carpets he's producing records he's DJing he's he DJs for Miss Mariah Carey first of all like it's just he just does it all so I can't wait to dive into all that this man is doing and just hearing about his story and his journey me too uh and he's like the nicest guy ever so and he's the nicest guy ever that's what on the podcast today. We love it. Woo, child. I am just tired hearing about all of the things that Sus does, but let's just run down his amazing bio. 
especially for such a young man. I mean, he's doing it all. So Sus embodies all three specialties every DJ should have. He rocks the club. But John and I have not been invited to check him out at the club. So (laughs) produces hit records, fills radio airwaves with his uncanny style and super upbeat energy. I mean, this man is never phased by anything. So from interning at Sony Music to becoming a DJ on Power 105.1 to working with the Miss Mariah Carey on her Emancipation of Mimi tour, and being her Vegas residency DJ to running the soon to be, if not already, media empire with a new podcast named after his feature, or I'm sorry, the feature presentation brand. He has so much going on. I get tongue tied. Sus is a multi talented entertainment aficionado, mogul, and one of the nicest, most humble people you've ever met. Not to mention, Tenacious. Welcome, Sus. Welcome, Sus, to Black on the Scene. How you feel? Yo, thank you. Thank you. Yo, I need to rip this podcast when it's done. That whole entire intro was absolutely incredible, and I need to use it for all my radio shows. I need it for TV. I need it for everything. (laughs) How are you feeling today, Sus? How you feeling? I'm doing good, man. How you guys doing? Doing good. Excited to talk to you. Yeah, let's get it, man. I, but, I know you guys are gonna have some incredible us. questions. We got to start off with a little, a little, little competition between you and John. Uh oh, was because... this a light skin beard competition? Who <laughs> 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 wore <it> better? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is so funny. By the way, John, he calls you light skin, just so you. Oh, okay. Uh, that's another. Yeah. That's another conversation. That's another conversation. <laughs> so. John are probably two of the biggest movie fans I've ever met. Like, it's crazy. His knowledge of movies, your knowledge of movies, your passion. And I want to just kind of settle this right now because John was like, he can't be a bigger movie fan than me. I was like, well, let let me say, can I stop right there? (laughs) Because people always like to put me in the category of movie head, which I am a movie head, but I'm a movie head for the movies I like. Some people are movie heads like they know every film that was ever released ever and ever. And that might be John. That's, that's not that's exactly me. That's me. me. <laughs> but, let, but let's see what's up. So, I want something that you both like, love, and you probably know a ton about. We're going to do a little scream trivia and see who is the actual bigger screen, scream fan. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Question. So when you ask the question, how do do we just scream the answer out? Literally scream. Well, it is scream. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, scream the answer out. Probably. Okay. All right. It's like the Hunger Games in here. And by the way, there's no prize. So don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no prize. All right. So as we know, there's a new screen movie coming out, and there was one last year. Um, at the beginning of last year that Sus hosted a screening for and John was literally stalking me about. I, was. Um, I don't think you ever got me into a screening. I had to go pay for it, but great. Anyway. We appreciate that. <laughs> we want to see how big a franchise fan you really are. Let's see if you can remember which one of these movies all these quotes are from. Okay. So we see you ask a question and if you get it wrong, booyah. Okay. Sounds like you're in a parking garage. A dark and deserted parking garage. Is it Scream Scream 2, Scream 3, Scream 4, or Scream 5? 
Mm, I don't Ooh, remember that. Wait. <laughs> John, just for the record, because I know you and Didi as a team, you haven't heard these questions. I have before. not heard these questions before. No. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want any cheating going on. He tried to cheat, and I wouldn't let him. Okay. See? Wait, what's the quote again? Man, sounds like you're in a parking garage, a dark and deserted parking garage. I don't remember that quote. I don't and I'm a Scream either. fan. I'm a Scream fan too, but I'm a, the choices were Scream 2, 3, 4, 5. I'm, you know what? I'm going to say Scream 4 because that was the one that I least watched. I'm going to say... What? <laughs> <laughs> says this to Sydney's publicist, Rebecca, on the phone. Oh, actually, that's a lie. Did you say Scream 5 or Scream 4? I said Scream 4 because that's the one I least watched. No, that's watched. right. That's right. Ghostface yeah. says this to Sydney's publicist, Rebecca, on the phone in Scream 4. John... So far, best two out of three. <laughs> Yo, John, if it makes you feel any better, I just knew that was the one I didn't watch the most. So I was like, that was actually the one I was leaning towards because I was like, it's not in, it's not in one, two, or three. Yeah. Anyway, Didi, continue. Okay, I'll be back when you guys start talking about something a little more Saved by the Bell ish. She's coming with the. She's coming with the. the uh, what are the choices? It's all the screen movies. All oh, I, oh, 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 okay. Do, 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 do. <laughs> we ain't got all day. This is not a two-hour I don't remember podcast. that either. Yo, she's coming with the quotes that's not the famous quotes. They're not the famous quotes at all, but he's I'm like, gonna, I'm gonna like, go which with... movie did they say the? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Scream 2? Is that your final answer? Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is my final answer. It's definitely an early scream. What? what? Oh, shit! <laughs> wow. Joel, Gail's new cameraman says this when who was, who was played by who says in screen i didn't hear the question it says so the correct answer is joel gail's new cameraman says this when her former aka horribly murdered cameraman comes up on screen name that cameraman the oh actor. i forgot his name but he was in clueless and he was in a bunch of stuff i know exactly who it <laughs> Dwayne is. martin yeah Dwayne martin <laughs> I won. No, <laughs> no, and that's oh, and I'm I'm bugging. He wasn't in Clueless. I'm bugging. No, he wasn't. That yeah, was yeah, I was thinking about the other guy. That, no, Dwayne Martin was the cameraman. He was scared that he was gonna um get killed, and he but, didn't. And he did not die in that movie, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a tiebreaker. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Which which scream was that though? Two. It was the one John said. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't hear him say that. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a tiebreaker. I never thought I'd be so happy to be. A virgin. Oh, ah, that's Scream One. Mm-mm, it's not. Go ahead. That is Scream One. Hold on. Oh wait, it is right. You're right. It was from the guy. Yeah, it was Wasn't from. It, it was from. Um, after revealing he is in fact not dead, despite getting shot by Billy in the original. Yeah, screen. you're right. Yeah, that was. You're right. I know I'm right. <laughs> no, I know I'm right. <laughs> 
I found out to you, sus. You got all this knowledge. But listen, if this was the color purple. <laughs> no, nah, I don't remember or, a lot. Right. I should remember a lot of coastal. Yeah, you didn't win that. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Actually, she actually had some difficult quotes because it she wasn't did. like his quotes. Yeah, we guessed two of those. So <laughs> credit BuzzFeed with that because I didn't come up with those. Oh my God. Anyway, Didi, thank you for the icebreaker. That was fun. Um, <laughs> Sus, let's get into this conversation because I know we have so much to talk about. But I first want to go back to the beginning of Sus, Stephen, not even Sus, Stephen in White yeah. Plains, New York, when you were growing up. I want to know who you were as a little young boy growing up in New York. Who, who were you? What, would you? what were you into? What were you watching? And did you ever have like dreams of doing what you were doing now? And did you yeah, have a full-grown beard even then? No, nah, not at all. <laughs> I, actually had, I actually had the opposite. I had a full head of hair, which you don't see today. I did, too. <laughs> I did, too. <laughs> so, um, I was always into music. You know, you know, I, I, I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, I moved from Brooklyn. Well, I grew up in Westchester, but I lived in Brooklyn. I started my career, my life off in Brooklyn. Moved from Brooklyn. I was like eight or nine years old. Moved up to Westchester, New York. And... Um, you know, I just got into DJing. I used to listen to DJs in that early era on the radio, like Red Alert on 98.7 KISS FM when it was a hip-hop station in New York. Um, Mixtapes, I used to listen to Ron G, Kid Capri. I used to watch Def Comedy Jam and wait for Kid Capri to be DJing at the end of the um, show and just watch him scratch while the dancers was um, dancing, just studying, practicing. I convinced my dad to buy me some old belt drive turntables before I could afford the techniques. Well, I never could afford the techniques. Somebody helped me get them. My dad helped me get them at the beginning. And I would practice all the time. You know what I'm saying? I was deep listening into the mixtape game and listening to DJs on the radio, the legends and all that. And I was always a fan of music, you know, and it just made me want to be a DJ. So you asked me if I ever expected this to happen. I always expected to mimic my heroes. I always wanted to be in the clubs and be on radio. As far as the movie world goes and me doing what I'm doing now, this is an extension and I'm, I'm grateful, man. It's It's been a blessing so far. Well, tell us how you got to be such a movie fan. Was that something the family did together? You had your blockbuster nights? Or am I dating myself here? <laughs> but, uh, you're, What's blockbuster? Right? Shut up, John. <laughs> Listen, youngin. <laughs> Yo, I miss Blockbuster, by the way. We definitely have Blockbuster nights, um, you know, me and my friends and stuff like that. And I watched, you know, in the in the 80s and 90s, it was only TV and radio. There was no, like, YouTube and Netflix and 15 streaming services and all this stuff. It was TV and radio, and we watched a lot of TV, and, and we went to the movies. It was an event to go to the movies. It's still, for me, an event to go to the movies, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, back then, when John Williams was doing most of the composing for these movies the movies were really big not saying movies ain't big today because a lot of tremendous movies but they were like it, it was a super event in the 90s and 80s so yeah i loved going to movies and i was my soul was just invested into, into these things so i i really became movies it's part of my my whole entire aura honestly so you loved it as an event what was like the first time that you saw yourself on screen or representation of yourself being a black man or a young black man from New York where you felt like, oh, I, I see myself in this character or I see myself in this role. 
What never never mean? wanted to be um no but you felt like representation you're like oh because it wasn't a lot of black movies when i was growing up but i'm older than both of y'all and yeah. so the first well, I, I come from a mixed mixed family you know even though i'm black my mother's black i come from a mixed family and the movies i used to watch that represented that man was like pfft, one of my favorites uh there's so many i don't know man i used to watch juice but by the way talk about me learning how to dj juice was a very influential movie Mm. of me even DJing and that is a black movie with Tupac and Omar Epps and now that I'm older I real and I know the DJ I realized that he wasn't really DJing but it was one of those movies I used to watch over and over and over and over and over again just like looking at how like all the legends was in there Queen Latifah was in that movie um Red Alert was in the background Jazzy Joyce was in there um as one of the judges of course legendary Tupac and so many people was in that movie and I that that was one of the movies that really influenced me um, to learn how to DJ also. And they had one of the best soundtracks that like Uptown Anthem um, from Naughty by Nature and um, Know the Ledge by um, Rakim. And yeah, it was just a legendary soundtrack as a legendary um, movie. So that's one of one of them. That, that's a, movie. a lot of black movies. That Boomerang. One. Oh, yeah. Boomerang is a good one. I've never seen Juice. I've never uh, seen it. If Which, you guys have never seen Juice, we need to get off right now. What are you <laughs> Especially me. <laughs> right. I should growing up, I shouldn't have been watching Juice. So like I just never revisited it in the, as an adult. Juice is a cult classic. I mean, I feel like it's one of the movies you had to see at the time, but that's a cult classic. It's a hip hop classic. It's a DJ classic. It's legends in that movie. I don't know. That's a classic, brother. Well, well, that's interesting too. So, let's talk about like, okay, you were watching and observing all these movies and these other DJs on television across yada yada yada. But like, did you did you literally teach yourself how to DJ, or did was yes. there a men, was there a mentor that you had that kind my of mentors helped your... were, my mentors were the DJs that was on the radio. Nobody taught me. It's so funny because pe people don't realize how easy they have it today with technology, with YouTube tutorials. I didn't have two tutorials. I had listen and mimic, try to mimic. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and, you know, people have these these controllers. You know, I use them now but because, you know, I'm up to date, but they have controllers. Everybody has thousands and thousands of songs, MP3s. I used to carry 10 crates of records to the club, and I had, like, 50 to 100 crates in my house. That's what I was going to ask you. Were you literally like, <laughs> like that? Yeah, that literally. Like... <laughs> you know, nowadays, people just, down oh, let me download this song. No, we had to go to the record labels on Fridays and get the, the vinyl from the labels. Or we went to Rock and Soul in New York City or Beach Street in Brooklyn or Music Factory in Queens or Harlem Music Hut in Harlem and actually purchased the records and carry them on the train because I didn't I couldn't afford a car at the time or when I was a teenager, I was not even old enough to drive and carry these records on the train, one of each because you need one on each side to bring it back and carry and then go with them heavy ass records and bring them in your house and practice. It would be like it was like Christmas opening new vinyl for me. So when I see people today complaining, oh my God, this book bag is heavy. I'm like, brother, please stop it. <laughs> Do you still have your record collection? Your album Not all collection? of them, but I have a good amount of them. Yeah, I, I lost like 50 crates in a move, um, but I still have like 50 to 70 crates in my garage. Man, that is crazy. Okay, so we, you're in entertainment, obviously, like you're a sponge because you're soaking up everything. 
I would love to hear a little bit more about you DJing in the club. Like, are you a teenager DJing in the club? Like you got in and it was no big deal. What was the first club in New York you DJed? What's that process like? I always wanted to be a club DJ. You taking me back right now. So uh, I had slight experience DJing parties in high school. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Uh, Were you getting paid to do that? You made money. The answer to that is absolutely not. What are you talking about? <laughs> they, they, you know, people didn't even believe I could DJ. I, um, a friend of mine, shout to DJ Somatic, my boy Joey Taylor, he was DJing one of the high school parties, and I just asked him if I could get on, and I took some of the records and started scratching I, scratching them in, and people was like, oh, you could DJ. I, I remember I played um, Total Can't You See with Biggie. I played Players Anthem, Junior Mafia. And two other records, I don't remember, but I scratched them in and people realized I could DJ. You know what I'm saying? But um, and then when I started interning as a young teenager, not even a young teenager, a little bit older teenager, like 17, 18, I started DJing some of the industry parties for free. Like, you know, nobody knew who I was. Like, who's this skinny kid with long hair, which obviously that's not me today, you know, um, DJing these, these parties. My first official weekly club ever was a club called Hollywood in New Rochelle, New York. And it was one of the most ratchet clubs ever, but I built a name there. <laughs> Yo. Yo, what did you start calling yourself Sus One? Did you have another name? Yeah, a few, but my one of my first names. Guys, first of all, I need you guys not to laugh in, when I tell these stories, you know. <laughs> I'll, put the disclaimer out there. I'll just mute myself. Right. So, um, one of my first names was DJ Stevie Steve. <laughs> yes! Oh my God! Then another, <laughs> and then how long did that last, Stevie C? That's very disrespectful. You didn't mute yourselves. But okay. <laughs> that didn't last too long. Obviously, it's funny. I used to. Have, I had a girl because I used to try to mimic Ron G's mixtapes. He had Miss Jones before she was a radio personality and an artist singing on his mixtape. So I tried to mimic that. I had a, a friend of mine sing DJ Stevie Steve on the tapes and all that. I was like, oh my God! But it didn't last that long. Then I I had a name for like maybe one day, two days, DJ Lethal. But then I re realized there was another <laughs> DJ out there and I'm not that lethal of a guy. <laughs> <laughs> there was a famous DJ named DJ Lethal. And then everybody used to call me Sus because my last name is Sussman. They, you know, especially when I went to a few different schools. I went to um, public school, Catholic school. I went to one year to a boarding school. But in those, in the Catholic school, they would call you by your last name a lot. And Sussman became Sus. Yo, Sus, Sus. Uh, and I'm always striving to be number one. So that's where that name came from. You know, unfortunately, in today's um, 
in today's slang, sus means something else, but it is what it is. I came up with that in the early 90s. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> only, only young kids say that. Yo, you right. Know, you're right. It, so it's funny when we talk about names because Didi and I went through a variety of iterations of names when we were thinking about titles for the podcast. And they were equally hilarious if we landed on Black on the Scene. But Didi has one that I have to have her say because it's so funny. <laughs> like, like a name that she thought I had? No, no, name that we thought what we were going to call our podcast. And it was bad. Didi? That list was so hilarious. We'll have to send it to you because you will literally bust a gut. But one of the words was, because we wanted to tie in, we both love movies, we work in the movie industry, was cinephilia, which is actually... Uh, ma'am. P.S. That was Dee Dee's idea, and she was so excited about it. I was like, uh, no. That's funny. John was like, absolutely, and we're not. Yeah, well, I want. I wish I could have seen John's face when you actually told him that. Oh my god! And mind you, we were going back and forth for like weeks, and like we were like, you go in your corner, I go in my corner. My, I think my idea was black on the scene. Pat on my back. Um, and then Dee Dee's was cinephilia, and we saw where that went. Nowhere. <laughs> I will pull out the receipts. We, we will see. But that is hilarious. Oh, my God. Okay, so we settled on Sus1. You're breaking through in the club. Did you did you go to college? Yeah, but I never finished. I went to a community college first. I wasn't I wasn't a good student, like, in, in high school. Like, I was failing all the time. Oh, not because, of, you know, I wasn't doing the work. It's because I literally wasn't showing up to class. Um. And Where I was, were you? You were DJing or just passionate about what you were doing? As corny or? as this sounds, I was, you know, but now that I'm older, I realize this has been, you know, some of my strategy in life. But I would be in, right there in the cafeteria playing chess. And I won the chess championship in my high school, but was failing class. Wow. Can, <laughs> you, te- can you teach me how to play chess? I've always wanted to learn, but I've... I've- Felt like I wasn't yes, smart enough for it. Of course. <laughs> you still play? I, I actually don't play well. My dad taught me how to play. I haven't played in years. Do you still play? Yeah, all the time. I'm on a chess.com app. You know, I come from a chess family. That's incredible. It's funny. You guys are, you know, asking me questions nobody's ever really asked me. No, but I love, I love that. It. And I think it says a lot about, like, the things that you're passionate about, they drive your tenacity because again you're like one of the nicest people ever Thank but you. you're tenacious and you will say i know i'm driving you nuts but <laughs> I, you know, blah 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 and i love that because i think you are you also seem to be super intuitive but the things you're passionate about is so like amazing to me i i will say what i think is super interesting too is that you have both this like business acumen as an entrepreneur, but you also have, because the feature presentation and all of that is very entrepreneurial, right? But you mm-hmm. have a full-time job too. Like, mm-hmm. how are you balancing all of that? Did like, did you see that from your parents or what gave you the framework to know that you can, you could do both? Funny, the job I have really is, you know, TV and radio. It's definitely not full-time. My full-time job is really just my career, but not no sleep is the answer. Like, how do I do both? I no sleep. I I sleep very little. I sleep more now, I think, um, than I did when I first started. So maybe I get a couple hours in. <laughs> but I just work hard, man. You know, I have dreams I want to conquer, and I can't waste time. I, you know, we're only here for a short period of time. If you're lucky, you're here till you're ninety, hundred years old. 
And I don't want to live a day not thinking I didn't put my all into trying to get my goals accomplished, you know? So I, I find the time. I make the time. I'm but, at work right now. I'm on the radio right now doing the um, Black on the Scene podcast. We make the time. We find, we, <laughs> we find. You know but, but But when you're doing all that working and you say no sleep, which I know you, you, you don't mean that literally, but like... But what are yes, you? He does. Yes, he does. <laughs> I mean, you, you have to sleep. But I'm saying, like, but how do you? What? When do you pause and take time for yourself and and replenish and recharge your energy and just not do anything, not work? Do you, Do you do that? Do you make time for yourself no, I, that way? I need to do. I need to do it more. You know, I have moments, but I need to do it a lot more. Like, you know, when I really was able to re-energize and I had time to myself, the pandemic. That that's when I was like, I started really appreciating being home. I really appreciated, um, you know, just being at peace for a second. That's That was the only time I really got to really be to myself and some of my loved ones. So, um, yeah, like, I, I need to spend more time. I've rarely vacationed when I'm traveling. It's normally for work. I need to take more time for myself. Yes, you do, Sus. I'm, we all do, <laughs> first of all, because we all are workaholics. But I just yeah. got off. A, I got off a quick vacation recently. It was life changing. I'm ready for my next one, and it was a week ago. Um, but you should definitely well, take time for yourself. Emails, and he didn't check. Work I did not check emails, and it was a, that's a big deal for me. Um, that, that's never happened for me. As even now, if I went on when I took a couple of vacations towards the end of the pandemic, when they started letting people fly again, I was looking at emails. I was looking like so. I need to. I need to do that for myself. Yeah, just 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 hold a few hours for yourself and just like read a book, write a write a movie, you know, whatever you want to do. I just feel like you. I want to. I want. I want to like just give you that little bit of advice from from my twenty three year old self of um, just taking a moment and sitting in. Y'all didn't catch me saying I was twenty three. I, I did, but I just oh. I just ignored it. <laughs> I just ignored it. I said, no, let him, let him no, live. no one flinched. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, Sus, I want to talk about. Because I'm a fan, and this is a selfish conversation. I want to talk about how you started working with Miss Mariah Carey, and how what that journey was like working with her on her Emancipation of Mimi tour, her residency. You guys have a really great relationship to this day. I'm a huge fan. Butterfly is my favorite album. Uh, right. But how did that? How did that come to be? Like you're doing all this DJing because I just feel like that's such a such an amazing relationship to have, and you you guys seem to have each other's back and you always pull each other up and things like that. So how did that kind of come to be yeah. well first of all shout out to mariah shout out to m sizzle she's like she's like shout out m sizzle can i call her that too yeah no well, i don't know I if she's like that I, my <laughs> I, I love that oh my god not <laughs> the m sizzle yo she's become family like i it's she's not just like somebody i dj for now like i hang out with her and the family and we we call each other we check on each other like she's family but it's funny, the way I really met Mariah is when I was an intern at Sony Music when I first got into the game. I interned for a record label she had back in the day called Crave Records, but she does not remember me from back then um, at all. So I interned for her label and met her. I was around her a few times. Somebody has a picture of me and her from back in that day. I don't have it. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But um, um, when I officially began a relationship with her, shout out to my brother DJ Clue. You know, Clue has legendary music with her. He produced records for her, and they were cool, and they've made history together. He had just left um, 
the rival station for Power 1051, Hot 97 at the time. And he was doing one day a week there and came here to do five days a week. And she was going on the Emancipation of Mimi tour. And he couldn't do the whole tour because he was, um, you know, he was doing five days on radio now. So he, I was a young kid, uh, you know, I had built a relationship with him in the mixtape game and in the clubs. And I was un under his umbrella. So he put, he put me on the tour and I did 90 something percent of the tour. And he only came for big cities because he didn't have the time to do it. In that process, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a good DJ, thank God. I've, you know, I've been practicing and doing this for a while. She loved how I rocked and made a movie at the venues. Then we found out that we're, we're similar. Like, you know, my mother's black and my father's white, so we're, we're both mixed. And we found out that we came up similar and we just built a relationship. You know what I'm saying? We had similar stories. And... She started, she loved the way I DJed and it just started from there. And that was back in like 2006, I think. And now it's, wow, it's been a long time. Now it's 2023. It's going to go on 20 years soon. That is amazing. I have a couple of questions. One is we didn't know you were biracial. Yeah. Until we saw the beautiful picture of you and your dad on Instagram. And I thought, I was like, Sussman, is he Jew? I thought I asked you if you were Jewish. Anyway, my mom's Christian, my father's Jewish. We, I grew yes. up, I grew up li literally by religion, by racial, by everything. They didn't make me choose. Unfortunately, the the officers and the cops didn't see me as biracial. They saw me as a black man. You know, that's a yeah. other story. Is that so? The majority of your life, and that's that's what's so interesting is, of course, Mariah has been sort of, you know, vocal about the duality, the duality, and you could say polarity of being. Um, biracial or multiracial. It just really depends on how you look. How did that sort of inform how you, A, moved about the world, the entertainment that you do? I feel like you probably love all kinds of movies, all kinds of music, that it just made you a broader, maybe even more compassionate person, just having to deal with that. I'm just curious to know. Like, like ask the question in a different way. Like, did I lose anything? No, it wasn't. Do you did you lose anything? But you're you are presenting as you know a black man, but we know mm -hmm. we're all multiracial for because of the history. Yeah, yeah. And it's not something that I knew again, or we knew until we saw the picture of your 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 dad, who is your twin. Um, is <laughs> I'm just curious to know. Like Mariah has been very vocal about. I think some of the challenges of being biracial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a bunch of challenges. And and because she was not necessarily looking quote unquote black. And mm -hmm. I'm curious to know that you guys bonded over that. What were some of the challenges? How did it inform your yeah, you well, know, entertainment taste, your personality? I don't know if it affected my entertainment taste. I, lo I love everything, but it definitely, you know, affected my relationships in high school and different stuff. Like, um, I didn't even know what racism was till I went to school. You know, I was I was raised like I have my I have black family, white family, mixed family. I just but when I went to school, I found out am I too black for white people? You know what I'm saying? Am I too white for black people? Some people some some um people used to say I speak white, which I didn't even understand what that meant. 
You know what I'm saying? I think they meant. I think some of those people meant I speak educated. I don't. I don't know what they were talking about, but black people are educated. So I. It just didn't make any sense to me. It was like, what? What are you guys talking about? Um, and then you know, for white people, you know, sometimes I was too black for them. Like I, I, I didn't even know I was race. There was racism until I went to school, and I was like, what the hell is going on? And it's kind of been that way in my career, honestly. Like I'm, I've been the DJ where I, I could DJ the black clubs, the white clubs the everything clubs right but i'm also still not going to get the love in the white clubs that that some of those type of djs would get you know what i'm saying and vice versa in the black clubs because they like oh he djs the bougie clubs or that's what they call them so it's been like what my career has been also i've been somewhere dead in the middle like for instance like funk flex owns the black clubs like he owns that lane dj camillo owns the latin clubs that's his lane I never really had a lane, like you know what I'm saying. I've just it just has been what it is. But and I'm you, definitely. And do you and do you equate that to you being biracial? And did you ever feel like you had to pick a side? Like, cause I, I have a few black. Excuse me, no, I have a few I'm biracial. Pick, I don't yeah. pick a side. I'm a black, I'm a black man. I'm mixed, but I'm black, obviously. You know mm. what I'm saying. I never feel to pick. I'm me at the end of the day. I'm not picking a side. It's just. Yeah. People I, I just I know that's been a, that's been a, a lot of contention around that with with pe- with people who are biracial and they feel like they have to be one or the other and not just this multiracial individual and then they and then insert the comments of well you look this way or you talk this way and that kind of starts to frame which side they go to which is all ridiculous p.s. but yeah. I was just curious about that because I, I, a few friends of mine have talked about that even Didi and I we have talked about colorism conversations all the time. Um, and it hits well, she, she's called. She said, "When you said I was light skinned I was like, I don't consider myself light skinned I consider myself brown skin." And it's just I'm it's caramel, so fascinating. Yeah, right. See, <laughs> you're caramel, but which is great. So this was curious around, which I love to hearing that you don't, you didn't necessarily have to feel like you you were forced to do anything. You're just like I'm Stephen. I, I am who I am. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like I mean, I like. thank God I didn't feel feel like that, but I definitely experienced a lot of racism from all different areas, though. Yeah, like right. black people experience racism. Um, from white people or whatever, mm-hmm. and white people experience racism from black people. I feel like I still experience racism from all different parties. Right. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, but it is what it is. There was also a lot of young kids at the time. I, but I feel like I've experienced that in my older age too. Like I have, yo. Speaking of Mariah, I remember uh, I'm saying a story that I think me and Mariah have said publicly before in an interview. But I remember I was in a car. Me and Mariah was out one day um, with one of her friends, and her friend went into the store. We went to a store, and me and Mariah was in the car. It was um, it was my Escalade, and a cop. These two cops just came over and knocked on the window. They didn't see that Mariah was next to me. They just, I guess, in their mind, it was just a girl. But they saw a black man was driving the um, uh, the Escalade, and they knocked on me and said, "Give me your keys." And I'm like, "Did I do anything wrong? Give me your keys." They took the keys and just went inside the store. And I'm looking at him like, what is going on? And th- this is the type of harass. You know, we all have these harassment stories. I got a million cops harassing stories. But anyway, come to find out, um, her friend came out and was like, what happened? We told her and she went in and said, can I have the keys, please? And she was the cops was like, well, he fits the description. He was like, well, Mariah Carey's in the car and we need to go. And I, that was actually the first time I think cops ever apologized. And they didn't even apologize to me. They came and apologized to Mariah. We're sorry he fit the description of somebody. I, first of all, even if that's true, why are you taking my keys and going into the store? You're getting ready to come out and harass me. Bananas story. But, you know, I have a million stories like that, man. 
I have another story where I, I you know, these racist cops harassed me in Yonkers and my friends um, thought they were just harassing a bunch of um, black teens at the time. This is early. And then my dad, who's a white man, was a lawyer. Um, rest in peace to my dad. And they got very surprised um, when we went to court that I was a black man with a white father. And they just looked crazy in the in, with a white father that was a lawyer on top of that. When they just they looked crazy and they still stood to their lie because they they beat us the hell up and sprayed mace in my eyes for no reason and all sorts of stuff. So I've experienced racism from all types of angles, being you know black and being biracial and just everything. Unfortunately. Man, I am sorry that happened to you, but I wish I could have seen the looks on their faces when, when Daddy Sussman walked in and he was like, we not playing this game. I... When Daddy Sussman walked in and when Mariah was in the car. Yes. When my yes. dad came in, they looked crazy, but they didn't apologize. With Mariah, they apologized. And they still didn't apologize to me. They apologized to her. It's crazy, Sus. Let me tell you something. I will say that you are such a good storyteller. Obviously, this feels like it's so that you're just innately a good storyteller, but you've basically said you've been practicing all along, right? You've been practicing your craft. Yeah. You've been practicing your skills. You're such a good um, interviewer as well. We've had the, I've had the uh, um, good fortune to see you on the red carpet with uh, Tom Cruise for Top Thank Gun you. Maverick. Thank and you. we know that there are stories you want to tell. In particular, you are a great horror fan. And I'm curious to know, like, in terms of your storytelling, are you also reading books about storytelling or are you, you just... You're if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Just a really uh, um, apt pupil from watching movies. Have you taken screenwriting courses? What's enabling that ability to be such yeah. a great storyteller i i really should take classes i haven't taken classes i've read some books obviously but it's really just just watching the movies growing up new line cinema is the whole reason i wanted to make movies because of the story of freddy krueger which is a big reason why i love scream because wes craven created scream and he created um, a nightmare on elm street a nightmare on elm street so new line cinema we all know new line cinema it's a mm -hmm. huge um movie studio for years now but they were in non-existent almost. They were like a distribution company until um, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise blew up. And they called New Line Cinema the house that Freddy built. And I loved Freddy Krueger growing up. Until he got a little corny later. But I loved Freddy growing up, you know. Why? Loved it. Why did you love it? Again, because you maybe, was it because of all the harassment that you had? Like this was your... <laughs> nah, I don't know. I don't know why. It was just... I used to love horror movies. It was like a roller coaster. Like, you know, some people don't like horror movies. They don't like being scared. For me, it was like a roller coaster. Me, like my 12th, this is bad. This is my 12th or 13th birthday. No, it was my 12th birthday. No, it was 11th or 12th. I had a birthday party with 15 of my friends, and we all went to go see Child's Play too. Now that I'm older, I'm like, why did my dad take us to see 11, 12-year-olds see Child's Play too? But, but the, I just was into the horror movies for whatever reason, and I really... Love, I was obsessed with Freddie for a long time. I still love Freddie. I got a glove signed by Robert Anglin. I, I even went as a fan to meet Robert Anglin, the um, actor who played Freddie. I was obsessed with Child's Play before he went comedy um, for a while. Of course, the Michael Myers Halloween franchise. And I just, I don't know, I just, it made me want to make horror movies. 
Maybe you know Bob Shea, who was um, the creator and owner of um, New Line Cinema at the time, you know, had no money and made that franchise happen with Wes Craven because Wes Craven um, took that script all over Hollywood and nobody wanted to to create it and make it. They didn't believe in it. And they made it themselves with a couple of investors, which they don't they don't even know how they got the investors. And it made New Line. It became a successful franchise and it made New Line Cinema and New Line Cinema has been one of the biggest movie studios ever since. <laughs> so and they're I don't like, know, the, and they're, like the king, they're, they're like the king of horror right now. Like they're doing it. Um, what well, do you, you know all of that? Because I don't know anything about any of. The, I do know about New Line, but that you. I'm, and then, I'm sorry, John, to interrupt. And I'll throw it back to you in a second. But that you have literally studied the genre. You know, how, like it's not just that you're a fan of the movie or or horror movies. You've studied the genre. First of all, for somebody who never sleeps. I, how are you retaining all this information and you must be reading it. Like, how are you organizing your research or no, you know what it is? I, I retract that. I know what it is. It's something you're passionate about. So you dive into it and you consume it in a way that's probably effortless. No. Yeah. I, I love it. You know, I'm a fan. It's not like, especially since YouTube started popping out on whenever that was 15 years ago, whatever I watch every behind the scenes and director and, makeup person and it's by the way i don't want to say i'm a horror movie fanatic because it's not all horror movies i was telling john earlier it's not you know i don't really i'm not really into the demonic ones as much like that's not my my lane but i was very big in the 80s when it came to friday the 13th freddy krueger um, child's play chucky um michael myers halloween like i was really into those vibes and of course scream like Mm -hmm. you know when scream became popular, i was like yo like you know what i'm saying so I'll, I'll I'll say it's a certain it's certain types of horror movies and just things that catch my attention. It's not every horror movie, but yeah, the ones that I love, I just really love. And it feels like a roller coaster, you know. People are like, why do you want to feel scared? Why do you want to be scared? Why it's evil? And I'm not an evil person at all. I believe in God, and you know, there's nothing evil about me. But I like horror movies. It's like a roller coaster for me. It's like it's like when you go on a roller coaster, you're scared to go on a roller coaster, but you're like, let's do this. It's a thrill, right? So, what, what, I'm curious to know yeah, since you thrill. are since you are such a, a, a huge horror fan for select horror movies, what do you feel like is the key to a good horror film? Because I think like looking back at the the 70s, 80s, and then like now, I feel like horror films are are kind of different uh, in terms of how the scares happen. What do you feel like is the right key to a good horror movie? That you would start to actually, you know, yeah, so that for you me, want to see might, more of. For me, it might be a little bit different because, like, I even like Stephen King's It, the original 1990 version, and then the one that they came out with um, in the sequel a couple of years ago. Because um, those really are fantasy films. Like, of course, you know, Freddy came out in the time where people use their imagination and can believe that somebody could come kill you in your sleep. And Pennywise the Clown, you know, these are these aren't real stories, and I I I have an imagination, so I feed into those stories. I feel like today, they want things to be so realistic, you know what I'm saying? And you know, realistic is cool too, you know, because it could really happen. But for me, to make a good horror movie, it's just the mythology behind the character and not showing too much. I feel like when you show too much of the person early or the killer, it's, it it takes it away, like. I remember the first Halloween movie. They didn't show him that much. There was no blood. Do you know there was no blood in the first Halloween movie? Mm-hmm. There was no blood in the first Halloween movie. It was just the suspense 
and the um, way they the, filmed it. The, the character and the music was the was scary the music, enough, right? You yeah, know, that's a good point. The music is very important too. Um, the music in Halloween, if that didn't exist, I don't know if it would have been that the the theme behind the Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't know if it would have been if it wasn't for that. Um, you know, John Williams with the score for Jaws. I don't know if that would have been if it wasn't for that. So it's just a marriage of a bunch of things. But I think the mythology behind the character, the story, not showing too much. And of course, you know, there's the elements of the music and not showing too much. And um, there's definitely like six or seven things I could say is a marriage. But for me, it's the mythology behind the character. Like, I just think the story behind Freddy, where this man um, was a was a killer and a kid abuser and molester Freddie's and, pretty deep. Freddie, Freddie's pretty deep on like if you break it down, like just the notion of because I feel like they people don't know that they don't know people, that, right? Yeah, people unless you're a fan, people don't know that Freddie was the story was he was a murderer, child mm-hmm. killer, child molester, and the courts didn't put him in jail for whatever reason. There was something wrong. <laughs> Look at Dean. <laughs> yeah, like, so, I, I think people get caught up in like how he looked and like the nail the things, but like I'm like actually think about this character. This character is pretty cool. Well, yeah, listen, Didi, I'm telling Didi really. So the reason he looks burnt is because because he couldn't go to jail. The parents of Elm Street, of where he was harassing and killing kids, decided to take the law into their own hands, and the parents, you know, went and burned them alive and killed them. So what he did is he came back in their kids' dreams of the parents that killed him and killed their kids. And that's why they call it a nightmare on Elm Street. And it's just a good story. The mythology behind behind him is crazy. You know, people who are not really fans, there's like this burnt guy that's in your dreams with a glove, but there's a whole mythology behind it. I just think I think that's why that was so successful, besides the fact he was original. You know, most of the characters at the time had knives or a mask. Freddie was vocal. You know, he was vocal. He, he had a glove that was different. Um, his story was different. How he came in the dreams was different. That's what so I, I, I was literally going to say that how he came in the dreams was different. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think the mythology was, it was, it's a bunch of stuff, bro. But for me, it's just a story. So, so I might see you as a, a, a future film professor down the road because you have a <laughs> lot of really. Because I only like the movies I like. But I don't want to be one. I don't want people to get confused. Like this guy just knows all the movies. No, but I mean, but that's some really good breakdown. You're you're giving it's some really good context. I didn't know that. Right. I would say, Sus, I can't wait to see you dive deeper as a producer, director, writer, creator of your own horror mythology. And I know that's something you're working on and passionate about. I guess you're doing that in your sleep. You're like this on your phone, <laughs> whatever. Um, but I, I, I would love, and I think you've already sort of talked about this, but any advice for the youngins looking up to you, listening to you on the radio, like you listen to um, all these other DJs and watching what you're doing, the way you were looking at your sort of mentors, What's the advice you have for them to follow in not just the radio, but just following your passions and making, you've literally made a lane for yourself that I don't think anybody else is in, right, John? Yeah, I'm still trying to create it. So look, man, I I don't want to sound generic, but you got to go after your dreams, man. People are going to tell you, because people only know things based off of their perspective. You know how many people told me, yo, getting on radio is impossible. It's near and near impossible. Not only did I get on radio, I got on stage with Mariah Carey. I'm interviewing Tom Cruise. I was like, you you got to go after. Just don't listen to outside people. If you have a goal, if you have a dream, go after it. Also, 
don't be, especially in this generation, don't be one of these people that just want to do it for the money. You have to love what you're doing. And um, also study your craft. Don't don't just come in here and only know what's going on today. Study why these people exist today. Where did they come from? What was pop? Because, you know, a lot of people watch movies or listen to music today and they don't want to listen to music or watch movies from before their time. I like to watch TV shows and movies from like the 50s. I wasn't alive in the 50s, but I want to see, you know, where things came from. Like what? I watch The Honeymooners all the time. You know what I'm saying? That's because it's a funny show. It's good. It's a funny show, but today's generation would not even watch things in the 90s or 80s, let alone the 50s. Like, you know, they just, they just, I just feel like because On Demand has popped off so much, they they just want to go to what they know and they don't want to study. Study your craft. If you want to be a rapper, study the people that came for you and open the doors for you. If you want to be a film director, study the people that came before you and why it exists today. If you want to be a DJ, study the people that did it. And I don't know everybody, but I know a lot of the big things, like, you know? And yeah, just don't listen to any outside sources and just go after what you want. Because people only see things from their perspective. If they can't imagine it happening, they're going to try to convince you, like, play it safe and don't listen. Words of advice from DJ Sus1. Please, everyone, take a listen and take some notes. Um, DJ Steve. <laughs> <laughs> you're not allowed to, after this podcast is over, you're not allowed to say this ever we again. Never want to hear it ever again. So, Sus, okay, so, like, looking ahead, right, like, we're at the beginning of the year, 2023, you already have so much on your plate, but, like, I want to see what else are you, what else are you going to be adding to your plate? Like, let's talk about, like, what's ahead for you, what are, you, what are your goals? The feature presentation podcast is booming. I listened to the Michael B. Jordan podcast episode you did was which was so great like what else do you have brewing i know there's i know that mine of yours is going 100 miles a minute but like what else do you want to accomplish like would you ever direct anything would you ever take your podcast to be on a a tv talk show like i can see it all for you what what do you got going i'm a hustler at the end of the day it's crazy because if you would have asked me in the 90s if i was gonna do something called a podcast i wouldn't even know what the hell you're talking about was that wasn't part of the goals um and now it's part of the goal so yeah i want to get this podcast moving um shout out to everybody who's involved um the feature presentation podcast for movies and music meet the first episode had michael b jordan the second episode had tj adams and marcus um calendar from the wu-tang american saga series Wu-Tang. and we're, we're working on some more things so yeah i want to pop the feature presentation podcast off uh, i don't know about directing movies i always looked at even though i really loved Wes Craven and guys like that and Quentin Tarantino. I wanted to be more of the studio. That's why I have the feature presentation studios. I want to be involved in getting the directors and getting the script writers and getting those guys and putting it together. But, you know, a little bit more than just being the studio owner, I do want to be involved because I love the genre of horror and, and, other, and some comedies and stuff. So I, I want to be involved, but I, I really want to be more of the studio because there's so many talented people out here. Um, yeah, and the focus soon is going to be to make up my first movie. I'm still trying to figure it out, but you're hearing it right here. I want to make, I want to make a movie. That's one of the end goals. And hold look, on, I'm, hold on, hold on. Let's put this into existence because you got good manifesting skills. John <laughs> does. I do. You want to make a horror movie to start? Do you yeah. Want a new line. You want to partner with New Line? What's What's this big vision? Let's put it out there. Let's get we'll. New Line's going to hear this, and we're all going to be producers. That would be amazing to partner with New Line if the deal is right. But right now... And us. And us. Don't forget us. <laughs> okay. Yes. Pa- Paramount. Everybody. Um, but the focus is just to get a movie done first. You know what I'm saying? I just want to get my first one off the ground. 
um, get one done. If, if I bring it to New Line or bring it to Paramount or bring it to Sony or bring it to anybody, then yes, I would love to partner with somebody if the deal, the situation is correct. But I just want to get one done. Get, get you know, break um, break my cherry in, a, in that world. <laughs> that sounded crazy. <laughs> yeah. And and you and, will, yeah. and you will, sus. You will, you will one thousand percent. Mind you, I'm still doing. T- you know, I'm in TV now. I'm learning the TV world. I'm, you know, I DJ on the Sherry Show, and they let me do personality segments and stuff. But I'm, I'm learning the TV world now, which is new, new to my world. Like these were things that I didn't really, that weren't in the plans originally. But now they're part of the plans. So TV world, movie world, radio world, podcast world. I'm telling you, your media empire, you are literally building your own lane. And I, I would like to say one thing. I love seeing you guys. I love seeing you on Sherry. I love the dynamic between you and uh, Sherry and also John. It's just so fun. And again, it's just, I, I we love watching what you're doing, building this lane for yourself. And we want to just make sure everybody knows how they can follow you, find you. What's your socials? Do you want to anything else you want to share with? Uh, yeah, there's with so them? much because there's so much we didn't talk about. But I know we're, we only got a limited amount of time. But first of all, my social media on everything, whether it's Instagram, um, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, whatever it is, it's at DJ Sus One. Um, if you want to follow the business, it's at the Feature Presentation on all platforms except for Twitter. It's at the Feature Prez. Um, you know, the company is just starting to get some notoriety. So, you know, tap in with us. Um, as far as DJing goes, I'm on radio, Power 1051 New York. I'm on jamming in Boston on Fridays. Um, I'm on in Maryland, in Salisbury, Maryland, live 97.5 in Maryland, Monday through Thursday. I'm on Dash Radio. I do the morning show. And now that you got me saying it, I'm like, damn, I do a lot. I'm on um, the Taste Channel on Dash Radio um, Monday through Friday during the morning show. So you can download the Dash app and hear my morning show on the Taste Channel every day. Wake up with DJ Sus1. Um, you know, um, from time to time, I travel with Mariah. We we do shows. I just did her Christmas shows at Madison Square Garden and in Canada. So check me out sometimes with Mariah. And um, yeah, I think that's it for now. I also have music out. I haven't done music in a while, but I have music out. Like I did records with Jada Kiss and Floyd Mayweather talking on it and French Montana and a bunch of people, you know, go on Apple Music and Spotify. Not only look, search my podcast, search um, DJ Sus1 for songs also. Get my streams up. I love it. I love it. Well, we appreciate you so much. We love working with you. We love getting to know you so much just better. You're more remarkable than we even knew. We didn't even get into the producing and everything else. So you'll have to come back. Yeah, yeah let's come back. And and spend some time with uh, D Sizzle and oh, John Sizzle. Before we end, I forgot something else I forgot to mention. I also have a brand called Dinner in a Movie with DJ Sus1 where we do screenings. And I, I've I've done a lot of partnerships with, as you guys know, with a bunch of the um, movie companies. And um, I get the screenings early and invite some of my influencer friends or celebrity friends, and we enjoy the film together. It's a whole experience. It uh, is. A lot so of people in the hip-hop. A lot of fun. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the hip-hop culture. we there enjoying movies together. And it's That's very- That's we all met, is through your screening series. So you bring people together to love movies and enjoy them like you do. Yeah, exactly, man. And it's called Dinner in a Movie with DJ Sus1. We have dinner, open bar experience, and we all watch the movie together. And it's- it's normally a private experience. Sometimes I do the bigger ones where we invite outside people. But once again, another thing I want you guys to tap in 
for and follow me for dinner and a movie with DJ Susswan. We're trying to build that brand also. Might, might try to make it a TV show at some point, but that's a whole nother discussion. I love it. I love that you dream so big. All right, John Sizzle, D Sizzle. <laughs> you guys are so we're out. I, we're going by, we're out. Thank, Thank you, you guys so for much, having me. Black on the scene. I appreciate you, John. And yes, Dudy. I appreciate you guys. It. Yes. Yes. See y'all next time. Next time. Peace.